Good morning once again, church. Glad you're here. Uh, I'm excited to teach this week. It's been neat to sit for the last couple weeks as Joe has moved through chapter 1 and 2, and Casey now starting in chapter 3, and we'll finish chapter 4, and eventually I'll make my way back, and we'll finish chapter 5 and 6 of Galatians. I love the title here. It says, Gospel-Rooted Living. And that word gospel means good news living. And so our challenge is, is that when we look at the book of Galatians, that our life is a good news living testimony to this world, that we are rooted in the truth that Paul wants to teach us in Christ. And so this passage or this book that Paul writes is in three phases. And the first part is a very personal part. It's a very personal part to Paul, and he says this in verse 1. He says, Paul, an apostle, not sent from man, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And then again in, in verse 10 he says, For I am now seeking the favor of men, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God, or am I striving to please man? If it were still trying to please man, I would not be a bondservant of Christ, for I would have you to know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man nor was taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 2, Paul concludes his defense, his defense against the personal attack from the Jews. And he says this to us all, such a familiar verse, 2.20, it says, For I have been crucified in Christ, and it is no longer I who lives, but Christ that lives in me, in which the life I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And in verse 21, don't forget verse 21, he says this. He says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for the righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Or Christ died for nothing. And so Paul is saying that it's not about who I am, this first section, is that I'm a bondservant of Christ. And that my testimony hopefully reflects Christ in me. And it's not about Paul, but it's about what Christ is doing in and through Paul. And then he sets us up for the second section in, verse, in chapter 3 and 4 to defend the gospel of grace. And this section is just full of doctrine. Full of doctrine. And he says this in verse 2, it says, This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the work of the law or by hearing with faith? And this is where Paul starts his discourse. And this is where Paul is leading us and defends a liberty living. And then section 3, we'll come back because we're in chapter 3. I won't leave you hanging. We'll come back. The section 3 of this, verse five, chapter 5 and 6, is a very practical living. This is where we're going to really root ourselves into. Once we understand the doctrine, once we got the foundation that Christ is King, that He is our ultimate sacrifice, that He is salvation by grace and not through works. Once we understand this, we'll start to live practical. And so this is what... Paul says in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, For it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subjected against the yoke of slavery. And then in verse 16, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. 
And so there's a personal section. There's a personal section that Paul defends. Then there's a doctrinal section that Paul defends. And then he rests in on the practical. Let's live it out. Let's be rooted. Let's be gospel-rooted people that reflect the glory of God. Amen? Amen. And so this morning we'll be in verse 15, where Casey left off last week, and we'll pick up. If you'll turn there, if you have a Bible, if you have a digital sword, either one, we love both. We encourage both. We encourage you to take notes. And so verse 15 says this, Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations, even though it is not only a man covenant, a man's covenant, when, yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Now the promise was spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one. And to your seed, that is Christ. What I am saying is this, the law, which comes 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance is based on the law, it is no longer based on a promise, but God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed would come to whom the promise has been made. Now a mediator is not for the one party only, whereas God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promise of God? May it never be. For if the law had been given, which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on the law. But the Scripture has shut up everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Let's pray, Father God, as we as we settle in into these next few verses, God, there's so much depth. I pray that you, you pull back all our preconceived thoughts about this section, about the law, about the promise, and you allow your Spirit to teach us and show us that justification came through faith and faith alone and that we don't get caught up in the midst of the law. Father, I love you. In your name we pray. Amen. So here's the big question Paul wants to answer to the Galatians people and to you and to me. How does the law relate to God's promise? How does the law relate to God's promise? Let's set the background for you for just a minute before we dive into it. The Judaizers had moved into the area of Galatia where Paul had went and set a foundation for many of churches, multiple churches. And in this, in this area... Paul taught them faith, that they were justified by faith, that they were set right before God because of their faith in God, nothing else. That it was not about them, there was nothing they could do to achieve this, there was no good in them, there was no ability, but only through Christ alone. And then we see the Judaizers come in, and when they come in and they say, you know what, God is good and He's right, but He sent the law, you remember? You remember how He sent that law? So we have to live by that. And so what they did, they tried to transform their thinking. They tried to, tried to rock their foundation and say, look, the law is good. And so we have to become like the Jews and then incorporate the law into our lives. And so Paul catches wind of this and he's like, absolutely not. It's 
false. Don't fall into that. The law is good, Paul says, and we'll get to that. The law is good, but it has a different meaning, it has a different purpose than the promise. And so the first part of this section, we're going to look at the law and the promise. But before we get there, this is what Paul says. Paul says, I am amazed. This is back in Galatians uh, chapter 1. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by grace for a different gospel, which is really not another gospel. And then in chapter 3, he says this, You foolish Galatians, have you bewitched you? you have, I mean, who has bewitched you? And I love this word foolish. Listen to what it means. It says this in the Greek. It says, the word indicates the stupidity that comes from the deadness of intellect. I wouldn't have thought that. <laughs> so it says this. Listen to it again. It says, the stupidity that comes from the deadness of intellect. He's not saying that they don't, they don't know it. He's saying that they have allowed it to become dead. That they've taken the knowledge. And he says, oh, foolish Galatians. And before that, in chapter 1, he says, I'm amazed that you've accepted this gospel of truth and you've turned from it so quickly, that you've accepted justification through faith alone, but you've turned so quickly. And he says, he says you oh foolish Galatians, how have you turned? And this is what Paul is saying. Listen, I love this. I love what MacArthur says. He said, it's not a question of mental inability. It's not that they're not capable. He says, it's not the question of mental inability. It is a question of sinful neglect of one's available resources. How true is that? How true in our own lives we tend to neglect that and we tend to fall in that line of, i got to do this and that. And we don't live by grace, but we live by legalism. And we live by rules. And we try to check our own card off. And Paul says, no, hold up. Don't be foolish. God's grace is so much bigger than anything, any rule, any pattern of life that you think you can live out on your own, God's grace is so much bigger than that. And so he says, oh, foolish Galatians. And then he starts to defend the promise and the law. And so the first section we look at is verse 15 through 18. And he says this, Brother, I speak in terms, in human terms, even though it is only a man's covenant. Yet when it has been ratified, no one sets aside or adds uh, conditions to it. Now the promise was spoken to Abraham and to the seed. He does not say, and to the seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. What I am saying is this, the law which has come 430 years later does not invalidate the covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise, for the inheritance is based on law. It is no longer based on a promise. But God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. And so Paul uses a human example here to help the Galatians rethink the law and the promise. He's trying to, he's trying to relate to them. He says this in verse 15. He says, I speak in terms of human relations, even though it is not only a man's covenant or a legal will, yet when it has been ratified or approved, or sanctioned or authorized, no one sets aside or adds conditions to it. And then he says in verse 16, now, just like now, he's referring back, just like the human covenant, the promises were spoken to Abraham 
and to the seed. Hence that word, to the seed. He does not say yet, and the seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. Verse 17, he says, What I am saying is this, the law which came 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God or approved by God so as to nullify or cancel out the promise. So it's not canceling out anything. So what Paul is saying is that the, the law is really the funnel to which the promise is moving through. The promise was never changed. There's two different purposes. The promise is moving through the funnel of the law. So what does this mean? It means that the law was never the means of salvation. Write that down in your notes if you can, or in the, the, the binding of your Bible. The law was never the means of salvation. It was never the means of salvation. It was always the promise. And so the purpose is to show us what? To show us our problem. The purpose of the law is to show us our problem. To show us our fault. And so the main purpose, if we look at it that way, if we look at, even if we look at society, they set up rules because of sin. They set up different rules because of crime, because of sin. And so this is what God did. Look at verse 18. He says this. He says, For the inheritance... Look at this language. For the inheritance. What is the inheritance? It's a gift, right? It's freely given to you. You can't earn an inheritance. It's a gift. So note this language. Just for the inheritance, it's a gift. Based on the law, it's not longer based on a promise. But God has granted. Hear that language again. God has granted. And that word comes from the Greek word grace. God has granted. He has given you grace. He has granted grace to Abraham by the means of a promise or by a resource. And so God has given us that, 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 the, that God's grace from Abraham has been granted to us by the means of a promise. In 430 years, the Israelites could not remove themselves from the equation of justification by faith alone. Somehow they kept thinking it was, had to do with them. But guess what? You're not the solution. They were not the solution, and you are not the solution. That's what Paul's trying to say. And so then, in verse 19, we're going to move into the law and sin now. Here's Paul's question. I love it. Right off the bat, it's right in the face. Verse 19, he says, Why then the law? Why then the law? What a great question. Why then the law? And Paul gives us the answer. He says this, It was added because of transgressions. Because of your sin. It was added because of your sin until the seed would come to whom the promise has been made. God given the law because of sin until he could definitely deal with it forever in his son, Jesus Christ. And so the law was given because of our sins. So think about it. God gave us the law because of sin, and so too, society gives laws because of sin. 
We need to be clear on the purpose of the law, otherwise we will get sidetracked. Everything God has created is what? You can say it. Everything God created is what? It's good. It's good. The law's not bad. The law is a good thing. Wouldn't you say that you're glad the law came so that it could show how filthy we are? That it could show that we need a Savior? That it could show me that I'm incapable and that I need a rescuing and I need to be delivered? That is good, people. That is good. So God sent the law not to confuse us, not to contradict anything, but to show us His grace. And to say, you know what? You need a Savior. You need rescuing. I need rescuing. And the law reveals that to us. Everything God has created has a purpose and is good. I love what Charles Spurgeon says. He says this. You've got to think on it. Pretty in-depth here. He says, a handsaw is good. It's a good thing, but not to shave with. Right? I love it. I love it. It's deep. It's deep. But it's so true. It's so true. It's so true. The law is good, but it's not the means of salvation. It's so good. And then Mark Driscoll goes on to say, he says, a good thing can become a bad thing when it becomes a God thing. And that's what Spurgeon's saying. They're saying the same thing. We can take good things and we can make them a God thing. And they become a bad thing. Paul's saying the same thing. He's saying, look at the law because it is good. And it reveals how much we need a Savior. So let it be good. Don't go shave with the handsaw. Promise. Bearded people. Winston, don't do it. <laughs> and so we need it. And so Paul clarifies, he says, to whom the promise has been made, the seed, not the seeds, but singular, the seed. And so the purpose of the law, that we need a law, is to show us our sins and that we need our seed, we need our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what? So we need the law to show us our sins or our transgression or our inability to be good or righteous apart from Christ, that we need a deliverer, we need a rescuing, and the need for the seed, the one seed whom is promised has been made, our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. And so we've looked at the law and the promise. We looked at the law and sin, and now Paul finishes with the law and life. Look at verse 21. Verse 21, is the law then contrary to the promise of God? May it never be. For if the law had been given, which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on the law. But the scripture has shut up everything under the law, under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Paul once again poses a question right off the bat, and he says this, is the law then contrary to the promise of God? And he says, may it never be. Paul answers the question, and it's the strongest Greek negative, no. No, absolutely not. It's absolutely wrong. I can't tell you enough, oh foolish Galatians, no. For if the law, that's what he goes on to say, for if the law had been given, which was able to impart life, to give life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on the law. Paul is saying the law cannot give you life. 
if it could give you life, then the righteousness would be based on the law and there would be a conflict. And there is no conflict. So we have to continue to think that the that, that funnel, that the promise is funneling through the law. So it has two different purposes. And Paul says this, the law cannot give life, but the law brings about what? Death. That it kills, that it destroys. Look at Romans 7. It says, I was alive apart from the law, but when the, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And he goes on in Romans 8 too. He says, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus made me free from the law of sin and death. All the law is good. It is good to kill you. Listen to Corinthians 2, 3, 6. The letter kills, or the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. Gives life. And I know those are negative terms, and you hear kill and destroy, but it's so true that if we want Christ to live, we want Galatians 2, as Paul says, if we want the world to look at us and say that it's not no longer I that lives, but it's Christ that lives within me, if we want to represent Christ to the fullest, we must be killed. And we must have a newness in us. We must become rescued so that we live in the forefront and so that the gospel-rooted living is not Jason, but it's Christ in me, driving me because I'm compelled by His love and His grace and His truth to bring a gospel to a world that needs it. To a world that needs it. So here's the good news. The promise of God brings life. It brings life. A few verses later in Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, Paul declares to us, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom. There is freedom in Christ. There is freedom. But don't abuse it. Don't walk in a manner as your license to sin. Walk in the Spirit. That's why Paul starts with a personal side. That's why he, then he gets into the doctrine and then he's going to finish with the practical. Because you have to learn to be responsible in your liberties as Christians. We can't go around abusing them. We don't have a license to sin. But we have a responsibility to the Gospel. And through that we can enjoy freedom. And we can enjoy our liberties. And we can still glorify who God is. Listen to this last quote that I have from a scholar. He says this, Now until the law and conscience and the Holy Spirit have bruised and smashed us, do we admit the need of the gospel to bind up our wounds. Not until the law has arrested and imprisoned us do we long for the Lord Jesus Christ to set us free. And not until the law has condemned and killed us, do we look to Him for new life? It's only when the law has driven us to despair, to, despair, to despise ourselves, that we embrace Jesus Christ. So Paul says to the Galatians, the promise of faith is still in order. It is still superior. Do not let anyone add to it or change it. The promise is good. And the promise is Jesus Christ. And so as the guys come back up, and, and one gal, uh, this is a challenge. I know in life, I know that we think back to the law and we're like, well, we don't have this letter, we don't have this stone that came down from the mountain with these do not do's in life. But we tend 
to fall into our own legalism. We tend to fall into, I need to go to church, I need to go to Sunday school, I need to do this, I need to help, I need to serve in the street. We tend to fall into our own law, our own rituals, our own festivals. And so Paul, just like he told the Galatians, oh, foolish Galatians, or I'm amazed, don't, don't turn from your first love. We just, we just sang about it, fall afresh on me. I pray that if, 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 you've, if you've fallen into that, that allow the Spirit of God to fall afresh on you, to fall new, awaken my soul to my first love, which is Christ, and not the law, not the letter, but that we walk in the Spirit of God so that He is projected, so that He is glorified, that His name is renowned and not mine. So that's the challenge. Think through that. And the other part of that challenge is if you don't know the Lord, if you've never felt that call, I pray that the Spirit moves in your heart and that you would find me at the end of service or Joe and just talk to us about it. The grace is good and we need a deliverer. We need to be rescued. Paul's clear. His message is clear. The law shows us our sin. It shows us that we need a Savior and that the promise still gives life. Life for us. Let me pray. Father, we thank you, God. We thank you that you've given us a servant in Paul, that he penned this letter in obedience to you for us. And God, I pray that we don't take it lightly, that we evaluate our life, and we really look for those those moments where we tend to lean to the legal side of things, the legalistic side of things. And God, that your, that your grace would pull us back, and pull us out of that, and that we would learn to walk and step with the Spirit so that we can enjoy the freedom that you have given us in your Son, Jesus Christ, and the new life that you've given us. And we don't have to sit in that old life anymore. God, change our hearts. Move in your people. It's in your son's name we pray.